Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to Herbal Wisdom. This is Chris Vaughn, Certified Clinical Herbalist in Prescott Valley, Arizona. And I am also the owner and program director of Herbal Wisdom Institute, which is an herbalism school in Prescott Valley uh, focused on traditional herbalism education for a modern world. And I also have an apothecary, and then I also make products as well. The, uh, the line of products that I have created is Urban Evolution. Uh, so what I want to uh, share with you today is probably the most common things that clients come in to see me for. And these are digestive issues. So... When I'm teaching, I'm always training my students that 90% of the time when someone comes in to see an herbalist, they're walking in the door because of some kind of a digestive condition. Now, they could be walking in the door with anxiety or depression, but oftentimes we can always trace that back to something going on in the gut. And when we normalize what's happening in the gut, so many other conditions can change. So uh, really having an understanding of how digestion works is important. But then we also have some tougher situations that come in and some things that we have to do a little bit of investigative work for. So what I really wanted to talk about today are inflammatory bowel conditions. And so inflammatory bowel conditions are Crohn's disease, colitis, which can be ulcerative colitis, or there's one called collagenous colitis, uh, and then diverticulitis. We won't talk so much about irritable bowel syndrome today because that's actually not one of the inflammatory conditions. In fact, even though it causes a lot of the same symptoms um, and definitely a lot of discomfort, uh, when they have analyzed the tissue in the bowels, uh, they have found no inflammation. So we don't lump that into the inflammatory bowel conditions. So we're going to talk about Crohn's, colitis, and diverticulitis today. I'm also going to talk a little bit um, in each one of those what's going on, what are some symptoms, what are some things to look at, um, and then what is conventional standard of care um, when you go to see a medical doctor for these conditions, and then what can we do with herbal medicine um, or what other people would say is alternative medicine. I like to consider it as traditional medicine since herbal medicine was really the first medicine um, that we had access to from the beginning of time. So I call it traditional. Other people call it alternative. You can really call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Um, But this is what we're going to go into today. So um, I thank you again for being here and um, let's get to it. So we're going to start talking about Crohn's disease. So this is a chronic inflammatory bowel disease, and it really involves all of the layers of the bowel wall. Now, when I talk about bowel, this is small intestines and large intestines, okay? Both of those areas 
um, are considered the bowel. You may also hear me say the word gut. Okay, so whenever anybody talks about gut, this is what we're talking about is the small intestines and the large intestines. Okay, so the bowel. So uh, the cause of the chronic inflammation in the layers of the bowel uh, are, is really unknown, um, but it could be a genetic predisposition. There's also some thought that it can be caused from an infectious organism, um, but there really hasn't been a whole lot of proof of that yet. Although um, what we tend to find is people who have developed Crohn's or even colitis uh, have at some point had uh, a viral diarrhea or a bacterial diarrhea condition that lasted way too long. And then down the road, we find that they've now developed these inflammatory bowel conditions. So uh, 30% of people who have Crohn's disease may have involvement just in the small intestine. And then there's 30% of people who may have involvement just in the large intestine. And then probably 40% of people have it in both. Um, so again, causes really not known. It's kind of hit or miss um, in trying to figure that out. Um, and some of the symptoms uh, are pretty vague um, and can depend really on the location of the disease. So people will present with fatigue. They may have some weight loss. They absolutely will have some abdominal pain, uh, diarrhea. They may also, when they're tested, uh, test for deficiency in folate and vitamin B12. Um, and that is because we do all of our nutrient absorption in the small intestines. And so uh, if that tissue is damaged, then we're not absorbing our nutrients from our foods the way that we need to. So abdominal pain and diarrhea are most common if the colon is involved. Uh, so that is your large intestine. Diarrhea is in that situation is not usually bloody unless the rectum is also involved. Now, small intestinal involvement, this is what causes right um, lower quadrant pain, and it may come with a low-grade fever. Uh, they may have some anorexia. They may have nausea and vomiting. Oftentimes, this is mistaken for appendicitis because it is in the same area that we would have that same kind of pain and has a lot of the same symptoms. Um, so when we have Crohn's disease, the tissue in the bowel uh, becomes inflamed and forms lesions on it. And it will often be what they say, what they call skip lesions, because you will have some tissue that is affected, and then it will skip an area. So you'll have healthy tissue, and then you'll have another patch of affected tissue. Uh, so that's why they call that skip lesions. Now, standard of care for Crohn's disease is often that they put you on a steroid treatment, and that is really to suppress the immune system and to try to reduce some of the inflammation. The reason they're trying to suppress the immune system is because they feel that it is an autoimmune situation. Um, and then, of course, they will do some dietary 
considerations, uh, reducing inflammatory foods, so things like red meat and dairy. Um, now, de dehydration is a big problem with people with Crohn's, especially if they're having diarrhea. So replacing your electrolytes is very important. And then also a easily absorbed multivitamin and then increasing fruits and vegetables. Now in extreme cases, they may have to go in surgically and remove diseased portions of the intestines. Uh, the problem with this is they will take portions of the intestines out and then they have to connect the intestines back together. So now we have sections that have decreased motility and decreased ability to function um, because they were taken apart and then kind of sewn back together. So um, we get a lot of motility issues and nutrient deficiencies when that happens. Now we'll talk about colitis and I'm going to go through all of these conditions first before I talk about natural remedies and herbal remedies because the herbs that we would use for all three of these conditions are very similar. Okay, so we'll go through colitis next. So ulcerative colitis is what we're going to talk about. This is really confined to the colon and to the rectum. And it predominantly affects the mucosal layer and the submucosa as opposed to going through each and every layer. So um, symptoms will be bloody diarrhea and abdominal pain. Uh, symptoms can be mild or severe. And if they're severe, then the person may have multiple watery stools daily. And often those stools are full of blood and pus. They will also complain of fever, abdominal cramping, weight loss, and dehydration. Uh, the severity of symptoms really correlates with the extent of the colon involvement. So how much of the large intestine is actually involved. Um, there can be just rectal involvement or it can travel through the entire large intestine. Um, now, unlike, that's unlike Crohn's. Crohn's typically um, does not involve the rectal area, um, but this may cause constipation rather than diarrhea. Um, now, first, before I go any further, bloody stools of any kind should always be taken seriously because in both of these conditions, um, perforations of the bowel can happen, and this can be very, very dangerous and life-threatening. So never just assume that blood in the stools is a minor thing. That is something that always needs to be checked out by a medical physician. Um, so, okay. Uh, and then we have diverticulitis. So this is where pouches um, form in the walls of the colon. These pouches are called diverticuli. Now, a lot of us have diverticuli in our colon, and it never causes an issue. But every once in a while, 
you'll get what they call a flare-up, and this is where uh, these pouches have become infected or inflamed, and now that's called diverticulitis. The itis at the end of the word means inflammation. Most cases of diverticulitis develop over the age of 40, and we have things like food particles and waste products that get caught in those little pouches, and they breed infection, and we get fever and intense pain, and this is typically what, what sends somebody to the hospital. Uh, conventional treatment is um, antibiotics, of course, for the infection. And then dietary recommendations, which usually is just that they have a high fiber diet and avoid anything with seeds. But uh, we're sort of finding that the seeds are not necessarily the culprit. Um, and then, of course, surgery on the bowels, just like in Crohn's and colitis. Um, to remove severely damaged tissue. So, as you can see, in each of those situations, um, the the pains are very similar, uh, but the causes are slightly different. However, the nice thing in the world of herbal medicine is that we can take, um, I'm going to talk about a small handful of herbs today, um, but we can really use them for all three of these situations because what we're really looking at is the actions of these herbs and what they provide to the tissue and to the immune system um, in order to not only treat conditions like this, but prevent future flare-ups and even possibly I say possibly because I'm not going to guarantee any of this, but um, reverse tissue damage. Um, how wonderful would that be if somebody could actually say that they were able to reverse completely um, their condition? That would be so life-changing. Um, but let's talk about what are the herbal actions that we look for in things like Crohn's, colitis, and... Um, diverticulitis. So first, we're looking for things that are anti-inflammatory. And these are typically herbs that we call demulcent herbs. Demulcent herbs are herbs that have a lot of a constituent that is called mucilage. Um, it gets very slimy. If you've ever had okra, when you cook okra, it gets kind of slimy. That's mucilage. And so we have herbs that contain a lot of mucilage and they coat mucosal tissue. They really, really love mucosal tissue. Um, so they coat the mucosal tissue and they sort of put out a fire because they're very, very cooling in nature. And when they coat that tissue, it allows the tissue to begin to heal itself, to let its natural healing mechanisms kick in. Now it has, these plants have constituents in them that, that also do many other things. But um, demulcent herbs are the first herbs that we will look at in these inflammatory conditions. And these would be things like uh, licorice. Glyceriza glabra is the Latin name. Um, Glyceriza or licorice uh, is very anti-inflammatory and very cooling to the mucosal tissue. Um, and it also has some phytosteroidal activity in it. So when the medical doctors are going to prescribe a steroid, 
we can choose something like licorice in its place to get a similar action in terms of inflammation and in terms of modulating the immune system. But this is the key. Uh, herbs are modulating to the immune system as opposed to suppressing the immune system. Because we don't want to turn off our immunity. We don't want to stop that process from happening. Um, because what we have going on is an immune situation. So we really need to retrain the immune system how to respond appropriately to what is happening in the body. And when we have an autoimmune condition, which these do fall under, then uh, the immune system is confused. It's not really sure what to do. So using herbs as opposed to something like prednisone is really beneficial because we're retraining the immune system. Um, so another demulcent would be uh, slippery elm. Uh, that is very uh, soothing to the tissue, and uh, I have a lot of my clients who will use slippery elm as a powder, and they just kind of mix it into applesauce, and they eat that once a day, and they have reported that diarrhea has subsided when they're using their slippery elm, or constipation is relieved when they're using slippery elm. The difference in slippery elm, um, whether you're gonna use it for constipation or for diarrhea, is how much water intake that you're using. So if you're already constipated and you want to use slippery elm, you also want to be drinking a lot of water. Now, if you have diarrhea and you use slippery elm, uh, we don't necessarily need to heavily increase our water intake. We want to, we want to know we have a, a good moderate water intake, but we don't have to increase that. Uh, and slippery elm is going to help to firm those stools up. Slippery elm is also really beneficial to help relieve that abdominal pain. And then the other uh, one that I absolutely love is marshmallow, which is Althea officinalis. Uh, marshmallow has very similar action to slippery elm and the choice of one over the other is really kind of a personal choice and I sort of assess the personality of the person that I'm working with when I choose one over the other. Uh, the next thing that we want to look at is astringent herbs. Um, in these conditions we have a lot of weepy tissue so the tissue in the bowel is very inflamed and can be creating pus and can be bleeding. Um, the tissue is very lax in tone and just really not responding the way that it should. So when we come in with astringent herbs, we dry up some of that excess weepiness and we tighten and tone that tissue so that uh, it starts to respond the way that it needs to. So some of our astringent herbs are things like calendula, uh, uh, calendula officinalis. I love calendula for any kind of wounds. Now, normally when we say wounds, we think of topical on the skin, but calendula can be used for these wounds on the mucosal tissue inside the body as well. It is slightly astringent, but it also is what's called a vulnerary. And what that means is that it's wound healing. It stimulates new cell turnover. So it's speeding the healing of the tissue that is being affected. 
another astringent is Mahonia aquifolium or Oregon grapefruit. Now this is a plant that contains a lot of berberine. That's one of its main constituents and some other plants that um, also our berberine containing plants would be golden seal. Most people are very familiar with golden seal, not as familiar with Oregon grapefruit. Um, and then there's also the barberry and desert barberry. Those are all berberine containing plants. Berberine is astringent. Berberine loves mucosal tissue. So anytime you're thinking of something with mucous membranes, then these berberine containing plants are really beneficial and to help tone that tissue. Now, the, uh, the reason that I choose Oregon grapefruit over something like golden seal, there's a couple of reasons. Well, golden seal is one of our endangered plants. So we try not to use that if at all possible. I'll choose something like desert barberry because I have access to that here in Arizona. Um, it kind of grows all over where I'm at. And then Oregon grapefruit I choose because I also really like how Oregon grapefruit um, supports the gut and in terms of supporting normal gut flora. Now, a lot of your berberine plants do that anyway, but I don't know. I just have this, um, I just love the energy of Oregon grapefruit. It feels a little more gentle to me than golden seal does. So I tend to gravitate to that one, but there's so many choices out there and everybody can, you know, you try different ones and you find the ones that work best for you. Uh, and then if we need some stronger astringents, we have something like um, our oaks, our Quercus um, genus of plants. This would be Quercus alba, which is white oak. And then here um, in my area locally, I have Quercus amorei, which is emery oak. And the bark of these plant, of these trees is the astringent that we would be using. And so these are really beneficial during periods of diarrhea because they're very effectively going to astringe tissue and help to dry up um, the stool so that we can firm it up a little bit. Because what's happening um, oftentimes is that the waste material in the large intestine is passing through either too quickly, so the body does not have enough time to reabsorb water so that it can firm up into stool, or there is something that is inhibiting the reabsorption of water, which in these cases, it's damaged tissue. So the Quercus or the Oaks will help to do that. Now, um, when you're going to choose an Oak species would be for something like um, conditions that are very chronic, causing chronic diarrhea. Um, maybe they have fevers from this. Uh, there's ulceration. So ulcerative colitis uh, would re be benefited from using the oaks, uh, relaxed and atonic tissue. Um, and outside of the digestion, this can even be used for lots of sinus congestion, um, runny nose, that kind of thing. Um, and then we have um, also cranes bill, which is geranium, geranium maculatum. And so this is really helpful for for preventing relapsing bouts of diarrhea. It's very astringent in that tissue and also really good for um, bleeding gastric or duodenal ulcers. Um, and so you would choose this if there was blood in the feces um, for that purpose. Okay, so we've talked about anti-inflammatories. Anti so those are our demulcent plants. 
We've talked um, about astringents, and then we need to talk about antimicrobials because we can get infection in the tissues. And so this is what's causing these ulcers and the pus and the bleeding and the infection in diverticulitis. So organ grape root, uh, as well as being an astringent, is antimicrobial. So you're, you're killing two birds with one stone by choosing your berberine-containing plants. And calendula also is antimicrobial. Uh, now, another one that I would pick would be um, plantago or plantain. And we have several species of plantain, and they're all used interchangeably. But the, this is also um, antibacterial. It is also astringent. And it is demulcent. So it has all three actions that we're looking for. Tightens mucous membranes in the digestive tract, moistens and cools mucous membranes, and also helps to balance gut flora. So that's pretty great. Um, the other anti-inflammatory I didn't talk about was turmeric. I like to add turmeric to my formulas for inflammatory bowel conditions. Um, but there's some issues with turmeric because what we're finding is for when you take turmeric, you really have to take a lot of turmeric because they're estimating that 40 to 80% of turmeric does not survive through the stomach. So having a difficult time getting it down into the intestines. So what they're finding is if they're pairing it with something like black pepper, then, then turmeric can get all the way into the bowels. Um, other people are pairing it with digestive enzymes to help some of that to survive. And then um, you can also look traditionally in Ayurvedic tradition, they make something called golden milk, where they will combine turmeric and some other spices in a milk and make a drink. Um, and the idea with that is that the fat in the milk will help to carry uh, turmeric through the digestive tract into the bowel. So um, that's a really delicious way to get your turmeric. Um, but you can add turmeric to a formula of the other herbs that I've talked about um, to help with some inflammation. Um, and then uh, we want some things like some nervous system herbs to kind of calm um, spasms in the gut so so something might be like a, a nice really kind of gentle one is chamomile um, but then you have something like you have something like uh, skullcap I love skullcap uh, so you know thinking of different um, actions that we need and then like bitter herbs um, to stimulate digestion to stimulate intestinal motility um, stimulate normal excretion of waste. Um, so gentian is a super great bitter. Um, we have fennel, organ grapefruit, calendula, those are all bitter as well. Um, so we have lots of things to look at when we're dealing with these inflammatory bowel conditions, but I wanted to just give you these ideas of what, how many herbs are out there that can be helpful if you're suffering with this condition. Now, before you just go out and start taking herbs, I want to caution you that just because something is natural does not mean that it is 100% without risk, okay? Now, I'm a clinical herbalist, so I have done a lot of study on my herbs, 
been certified through a couple of different programs so that I have an understanding of how these herbs work, but also what are some of the risk factors if we take too much? Because you can take too many herbs. You can take too much in a dose of any one particular herb. Now we have so many of them that are super safe, non-toxic, but, but there are a few. And a few that I talked about that have some risks involved. So like maybe you cannot take them if you're pregnant. You cannot take them if you're nursing. Um, you cannot take them if you have some bile duct obstruction. And some herbs that, you know, if you take too much, uh, you're going to have some things that are very unpleasant that could happen. So it's really important that you seek guidance from a qualified healthcare professional who is familiar with the use of herbs. Um, so often this would be maybe a naturopathic doctor or find an herbalist in your area. If you cannot find an herbalist in your area that can help you with these, then you can contact me. I do work by telephone. So you're not bound to just having to see somebody locally. Okay. So I work with people by telephone a lot. Probably half of my clients are, are all over the country. So um, you can always contact me um, if you're needing specific help. Now, if you're familiar with these herbs, you understand how to look them up. That's awesome. I encourage you to do that. If you are on any pharmaceutical medications, I also recommend that you definitely have professional guidance before choosing to use herbs. Many of our herbs will have some um, negative interactions with pharmaceutical medications. So it's really important that uh, you get this guidance before you just start picking up herbs and playing around with them, okay? Um, But anyway, so I hope that I've given you a few things to think about Um, maybe some hope that there are some things that you can do. Uh, And again, I'd love it if you wanted to contact me. You can follow me on my website, which is herbalwisdominstitute.com. You can find me on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash herbalwisdominstitute or at herbalwisdominstitute. And then you can always call the apothecary here and reach me by telephone if you had some questions uh, or if you wanted to schedule an appointment for a consultation. Uh, The number here is 928-227-2760. And if this episode interested you, if you like learning about herbs and you are in um, Northern Arizona or Arizona in general, and you wanted to take some classes, then take a look at our class calendar on herbalwisdominstitute.com. I have one day classes that we do on a variety of different topics. I have some six week series of herbal medicine basics that you can take. And then I also do a 300 hour herbalist certification course that starts each fall. So that will be coming up September 2017. If you are really loving herbs and you're wanting to uh, make some kind of a career as an herbalist uh, and become certified. So thank you again. I really appreciate this time talking with you and, um, giving you some information and giving you some hope. So I'd love to hear from you. So follow us on Facebook and thanks again. We'll catch you next time.